Well, welcome. I want to start with this passage of scripture to set things up. Jesus is speaking and he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? This is taken from the greatest message that was ever preached. It was preached by Jesus on a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this message, Jesus was introducing to people the idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place nor a time. It's a condition in which the rule of God reigns and rules over all of humanity. And in this specific case, in these verses, one of the things that Jesus is saying is that for those who are part of the kingdom, for kingdom people, we are to love others as God loves us. Now that was counterculture to his day and is counterculture to ours. See, the common idea is that we're good to those who are good to us, but we're under no obligation to be good to those who are bad to us, right? Now, you're all in church, so you don't want to admit it. Some of you carry thick Bibles, and some of you have been in church for a long time, and there's no way you want to admit that. But the truth is, for me and you, many of us, we're good to those that are good to us, and we don't uh, feel any obligation to be good to those who are bad to us, especially those people that are bad to our kids. Now, that got an amen after that one, huh? <laughs> And what Jesus is saying here is if you want to be a person of the kingdom, the expectation is that you're good to those who are good to you and you're good to those that are bad to you. Because what he's saying is that the kingdom, kingdom people function like the king does. And the king of this kingdom causes, in Jesus' words, for the sun to shine on the good and the bad and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So apparently, to receive the blessing of God, be it rain or sun, all you have to do is simply be alive, because at some point, his goodness is going to get on you by accident. And that's fine and dandy if all you need is a little bit here and a little bit there, but what about those times? What about those instances and moments in our lives when we don't need a little bit from God to happen to fall on us, but when we need God in a special way for our unique needs? What about those times? Do we just sit around and wait for it to rain on everybody and hope we get a little bit of splash? So I submit to you this morning that there are things we can do that can position us for blessing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am by no means saying that we can force God's hand. I'm by no means saying we can make God do anything 
I am by no means saying that we can do certain things that will earn his goodness and earn his blessing and earn his favor. Please don't misunderstand me. There's no good legitimate reading of scripture nor any verse in the Bible that would suggest to us that we can manipulate God's hand. If we certainly do certain things, he will respond in a certain way. That is not God. Don't you ever believe anybody that tells you all you have to do is do this and God will respond in this way. They're lying to you. But I would suggest from Scripture that there are certain things that we can do that will put us in a position to receive from God his unique activity for our unique needs. And without realizing what these are, many people who will be in heaven because they have a relationship with Jesus still live outside the scope of his blessing, settling for, well, when God chooses just to pour it out on everybody, hopefully I get some of it. I suggest to you from scripture that there are things we can do that will keep us positioned to receive his blessing or keep us outside the scope of it. For instance, as I read the Bible, I read a passage that says Jesus was unable to do many miracles there because they were outside of the scope of being able to receive miracles. I read about the 10 lepers who came to Jesus, all asking to be cleansed. And while all 10 were cleansed, only one of them was the Bible say healed and saved because the others are outside of the position to receive that blessing from God. So let me ask you right up front. Do you want to know how to keep yourself in the position to experience God's blessing? Good, because I prepared a whole series. (laughs) So let let me share with you right up front, then we're going to dive into it. How to keep yourself in a position to be blessed. Well, first, you be in a position of prayer. And secondly, you be in a position of expectation. And thirdly, you be in a position of trust. And fourthly, you be in a position of actually letting go of some things. And fifthly, you be in a position of leaving behind some things. And sixth, you be in a position of embracing. And seventh, and finally, you be in a position of faithfulness. Now, all of this we're looking at is on the app. If you, if, you, if you download that, you got this right there on that phone. It's on, our, it's on our website as well. So in this series, we're going to look at those seven areas to keep ourselves in a position to be blessed and experience blessing from God. And to do that, we're going to look at the first one today, be, be in a position of prayer. And to, 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 to teach this, I want to go back to the Old Testament to two stories that have nothing to do with prayer. But as we understand that the, the, these passages, hopefully we'll be able to make the correlation to what they have to do with prayer to keep ourselves in a position to be blessed. You ready? Yes. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to 2 Kings chapter 3. If you don't, again, it's on that. It's on the screen behind me. This is what the Bible says. And all it, I, I, I want to give you, I want to give you a, 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 a little bit, a little snapshot of what's going on here, and then I'll jump back into it, and give you some context. Okay, so just, just understand, this is where we're, where we're jumping off. And he said, "Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, you shall see, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain." Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He'll also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city. 
and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones of your enemies is what he's talking about. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came from the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Let me just set the context for you and tell you a little bit of background and help understand what's going on here. In verse 16, the Bible says, make the valley full of ditches. Here's what was happening. There were two enemy, two armies that have joined together to fight another army. There were the two armies of Israel and of Judah. The entire land of Israel, all of God's people in the promised land was divided into a northern half and a southern half. The northern half were the tribes of Israel the southern half were the tribes of Judah. All of that people, there was an enemy facing against them called the Moabites. Everybody say Moabites. Moabites. Okay, so they were going to go to war. And so all of the armies of God's people said, we have to get together and band together in unison and fight the Moabites. And so in their quest to launch out to do battle against the Moabites, they find themselves in a desert with no water. And in a desert with no water, where they're on the verge of, of, of dying of thirst, God tells them, make a bunch of ditches. Why? We ain't got no water. Why would we make ditches when we don't have any? Ditches are made for water, Right? So why would God say this? Here's what I want you to understand. Whenever God gives direction, we got to get this. Whenever God gives direction, we tend to look at our circumstances to determine if God's instructions are adequate for meeting our needs. That's what we do. We hear from God. He gives us instruction and direction. We immediately look at the needs we have and we become the judge if God's instructions are adequate for my needs. And more often than not, what we determine is what I need is this. What God's asking for this, I don't trust what he says. In other words, how would he tell me to tie 10% when I ain't got no money to live off of? Well, that instruction doesn't make any sense. And when we look at our checkbook and the instruction of tithe, we determine that his instruction is not adequate for our need. You understand? Want me to get a little more personal? No. <laughs> Let me tell you this. When you were single and you're dying for a relationship and you are so lonely and the only relationship you have is one that you know is inconsistent with God's standard and what you say is, God, this is what you asked of me as a single person who bears your image, yet if I do that, I will be even more lonely than what I am. And so obviously your instruction is not consistent with my need. Do you understand? Yeah. Want me to go further? <laughs> <laughs> And so what happens is they are in dire need of water and God says, dig ditches. And what they think is, what? That makes no sense. See, when God gives instructions that in your mind doesn't make sense, get ready because it's an indication that he's doing something that you can't see yet. See, here's what happens. When we neglect his instruction, we miss his involvement. Now, he was getting ready. He gave his people instruction to dig ditches. Had they not dig ditches, would they have received any water? No, they would have missed his involvement. And so what happens when he gives us instruction and we reject it, 
It's not because he's not powerful, not desirous. It's because we have removed ourselves from his involvement. So the background of this whole context with these armies, these kings of Israel, the king of Israel and the king of Judah going to war against the king of Moab, their strategy was to go through the desert of Edom and attack Moab. Now, here's the thing. Edom, the Edomites, were the descendants of a man named Esau. Esau was in the line of God's people. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was not the favored one of God. Jacob was. Esau went out on his own, and the people of his line were known as the Edomites. And so they're going through the desert of Edom in the area where Esau and his descendants settled. The problem with that is that area of the Edomites, the land of Edom, is in what is currently the land of Jordan, the nation of Jordan. Now, if you don't know Middle East geography, Israel's here, Egypt is here, Jordan is a little country right in the middle. It borders both Israel and Egypt. The problem with that is it is very arid, it's dry, it is a desert. If any of you are Indiana Jones fans, you have seen the land of Edom. It is this place. It's called Petra, that's what they call it, because it means rock. And the land of Edom is this desert, barren, dry, no water, and huge red mountains made of sandstone. And the Edomites carved their civilization into sides of mountains. Behind that facade are cities where the people lived. This is what Indiana Jones rode the horse through, this narrow, narrow uh, alleyway as such, cut through the mountain that burst into the land of Edom, these high mountains on each side. It is this. On the left is a huge amphitheater, if you can imagine, carved into this, the rock mountain. That's another vision of one of the buildings carved into the rock. This is the land of Edom. I've been there. I've traveled there. I spent a day in this area, and I suffered from heat exhaustion. It is brutal. They had to take me back to the hotel and doctor me up so I wouldn't go into heat stroke. This is what we're talking about. And the Bible talks about the people who lived in these mountains. In Obadiah, one of the minor prophets, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live where? In the clefts of the rock. You just saw the clefts of the rock. In your lofty dwelling, you say in your heart, who will bring you me down to the ground? You're so arrogant and prideful. You're coming against my people. It will take a hand and a move of God to bring you down. This is the Edomites. And so the armies of Israel and the armies of Judah decide to take a seven-day journey through the desert, and they run out of water. It doesn't seem like a very good military strategy to take two armies through the desert for seven days. And what happened is they made some bad decisions, created problems for themselves, and blamed God. Does that sound like anybody you know? Hmm? It's certainly not you, but it might be someone you know. And then what happened because of their stupidity and bad decisions, they asked God to bail them out. Does that sound like anybody you know? God, now I'm in trouble, and now I got some issues, and I need you to help, right? Probably someone you're sitting next to has experienced this firsthand. I know it's not you, you're all good and right, but it's probably somebody that's near you. Have you ever needed God to bail you out of a situation you created for yourself, right? Right? 
That's exactly what these two armies are in. And so in response, God says, for this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle and your other animals will drink. God says, now you're not going to see it happen. You're not going to see the wind, you're not going to see the rain, you're not going to see the clouds. It won't come by its normal means and sources. Well, how's it going to come? Let me suggest to you, this is how God did it unbeknownst to them at the time. When it rained in the desert of Edom, in all those mountains, down on the valley floor in the desert, they didn't see the clouds, they didn't see the rain, they didn't hear the rain. They didn't know what was going on. But as it rained in the mountains, all the water collected and would run through what's called wadis, natural waterways. So extreme was the rain in the mountains oftentimes that it would create flash floods in the wadis. Never knowing what was going on up top, just all of a sudden the water would appear. 2 Kings 3.20 tells us of this very thing. The next morning, about the time for the offering and the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from where? From the direction of Edom. You saw those pictures of Petra. It was very likely, this is how good God is. It was very likely that God, knowing that he was going to send rain in the mountains, directed the people in advance of the activity to dig ditches for something they didn't see and something they couldn't perceive to prepare for what God was doing behind the scenes. And so the instructions that God gives us, we might think, what? This does not make sense. Well, God is getting ready to send the rain in the mountains. You don't see it. You won't hear it. You won't perceive it. But he's getting ready. And if you don't prepare for it, just because we don't see it, just because we don't perceive it, doesn't mean it ain't in the works. Do you understand? You follow me so far? Had they only looked at their circumstances, they would have thought, why dig ditches? That makes no sense. We ain't got no water. And they would have missed what God was preparing for them. This is the current state of most people in church. Because we want to follow God when it makes sense and makes us happy. But we see no logic in digging ditches in a desert. More often than not, God is preparing things that we are not aware of. And if we don't pray in faith, and if we don't trust in faith, we miss what he's getting ready. Verse 18 says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Matter of fact, he's not only going to give you water, he's going to deliver the Moabites into your hands. Matter of fact, he's not even going to meet your needs. He's not only going to meet your needs, he's going to take care of his enemies at the, in the same time. He'll make you look good and them look bad. And this isn't just a, this isn't a difficult, this is easy. When we understand who God is, we start to understand how easy it is for do th him to do things like this. I'm going to share with you a verse about the eyes of the Lord. And I never want you to forget it. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord, God right now, His eyes right now, in this day, in this time, in this place, range throughout the earth, even in the ranchos, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, to strengthen those whose hearts will dig ditches in a desert, to work on the behalf of the lives of those who will trust him at his word and say, God, even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to obey. 
you understand? The eyes of the Lord. I wonder how much God is wanting to do. I wonder how much blessing he's willing to pour out. But his people have not dug ditches. They've heard what he said. But for them and their life, I don't like it, doesn't make sense. It's not that God is not willing and not active and not able. It's that we have removed ourselves from his activity. The other story I want to share with you is right after this one, kind of immediately after this one, 1 Kings 4. 1 Kings 4, 1 through 7. This is what the Bible says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, now go sell the oil, pay your debts, and your sons can live off of what's left. There was a wife who was married to a man in seminary. That's what it says. It was a school of prophets. He was, he was in training to be a prophet. He was in seminary. And he died. Don't go to seminary. It'll kill you. You ought to call seminary cemetery. I've been there, and it's dead. And so the creditors were coming to take her sons as slaves, because that was the legal response of some man who was in debt and couldn't pay their debts. He dies. You take the, take the kids as slaves until they worked off the debt. Here's one thing I know. See if this isn't true. Sometimes even good men make bad decisions and need rescue. You understand? So if that's you or someone you know, understand what the Bible says. Verse 2, Elisha goes to this woman and says, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. She says what? She says, I got nothing. I got nothing. That's her first response. And then under uh, further examination, she admits, well, I, I, I do have a little bit. Here's the problem. I want to tell you the problem. Here's our problem. See, God always starts with what we have because we always have something. We're not a victim with nothing. We always have something. And the problem with that, though, is that the only thing God requires is all we have. And this is why it's harder for a rich man to go through to heaven than it's for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because all God requires is everything we have. If I got a little bit, that's not hard to give away because I ain't got hardly nothing anyway. But if I got a whole bunch, that's hard to give away because I got a lot. And all God requires is what we have. And he, he always starts with what we have. Here's our problem. Though God always starts with what we have, we always start with what we lack. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? See, we always, God says, what do you have? Nothing. Well, it ain't enough. Right? See, we have to realize that with great sacrifice comes great power. And God will give great power to those who sacrifice greatly for according to his instruction. 
Verse 3, Elisha tells this woman, though you have a little bit, go around and get a lot. He says, go ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Why would he tell her, don't ask for just a few? Because he knew what she didn't know yet. He knew what he was preparing that she wasn't aware of yet. He knew that he was going to fill every jar that she had prepared. It's just like asking us to dig ditches. Don't dig little ditches. Here's what I know. That God responds to what we prepare for. He always does. God responds to what we prepare for. So that's why Elisha says, don't settle for a few jars. She started pouring oil into the jars. In other words, she started acting in accordance to her faith. Faith grows as it works and provision goes as faith works. And so in verse six, when the jars were full, she said, boy, bring me another one. And he says, mama, ain't got no more left. Then what happened? Then the oil stopped. The oil stopped, i.e. provision stopped when the preparation ceased. Had she given one jar, put one jar out, guess how many jars would have been full? God ain't going to create the jars. He'll create the oil into jars. You put one jar out, what do you get? One jar full. That's why he told her, don't get just a few. There was enough provision. Once God stepped in, there was enough provision for her to live off. There was enough provision for her to pay her debts. And there was enough provision to set her up for the future. In both passages, the ditches and the jars represent a need. In both passages, the people addressed in addressing the need, the people didn't come up with their own suggestion, with their own solution, and with their own request. They simply said, God, here's the need. Then they listened for what God said, how to address that need. And then they trusted in faith for the abundant provision for that need. Now, remember I said, the first foundation for positioning ourselves in prayer or in blessing is prayer. The first foundation, the first piece we've got to get in place to be in a position for God's blessing is prayer. What do prayers have to do with ditches and jars? Now, the last I checked, God hadn't asked me, Carl, go out to your back 40 and dig some ditches. He hadn't said that. Has he told any of you that? He hadn't told you that. So what do digging ditches have to do with prayer? What do empty jars? He hadn't told me, Carl, go get a bunch of mason jars from your neighbors and, and, and just set them out in your backyard. He hadn't told me that. Has he told any of you that? So what do ditches and jar, empty jars have to do with prayers? He's not told us dig ditches and set out jars so you can see my hand move and my hand provide and my hand protect. But what he has said is pray. Pray, 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 pray. When, when, when my son Caleb was little, he had a little speech thing. And he couldn't say pray. He'd say fray. Fray, 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 fray. God has said that. Pray. And you will see my hand at work. You will see my hand protect. You will see my hand move. So here's what I'm saying. The way we dig ditches that God fills, the way we set out empty jars that God fills with oil happens through the discipline of prayer. Our prayers are the ditches we dig. Our prayers are the jars we set out. And if we're not digging ditches in prayer and setting out empty jars in prayer, they don't get filled and prayers don't get answered. Now, you know how to be disciplined in life. Some of you are very disciplined. Some of you are very disciplined with exercise. Some of you are very disciplined with diet. Some of you are very disciplined with work. Some of you are very disciplined with Netflix binging. Some of you are very disciplined. Few of us are disciplined in our prayer life. 
And if we're going to be positioned for the blessing of God, we have to get this dialed in. It's vital for moving God's hand. I heard someone say once, what prayer can't do can't be did. What prayer can't do can't be did. Prayer is, you didn't catch that. Did you catch that? I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. So the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that your request be made known to God. Jeff, why don't you pay attention to this? You pay attention. This is important. John, don't let this go in one or out the other. Okay? This is, this is important. Anxious for nothing. Everything. Prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. There are three things. Prayer, supplication, Thanksgiving. These are the ditches you'll dig. These are the jars you'll set out. Here's what this means. Prayer is the general act of communion and communication with the Father. It's just the general act. This is how we commune with God and communicate with God, how he communicates with us. Supplication is the specific request, acknowledging authority and asking for favor. Supplication is that God, we need water. God, we need oil. It would have done no good for the woman to receive ditches of water, and it would have been no good for the armies to receive jars of oil. These are the specific needs that we have. Thanksgiving is thanking God for the answers he's already given, even even if we haven't seen them, it's God, thank you that you've already prepared the clouds and the mountains that I can't see. Thank you that you know when the rain is coming. I'm going to prepare myself in my consistent prayer life for your provision, the discipline of prayer. Two characteristics. Don't miss this. Phil, I'm going to make it real easy for you, okay? Make it really, don't, don't miss this. The discipline of prayer. It has to be regularly consistent. You know what that means, right? Yeah. Regularly consistent. And there has to be biblical yeah, content. That's good. That's good. It means it got to come from the Bible. Yeah. Okay, so it's real simple. Regularly consistent means there's something, it's something that I do. If you wait till you feel like you need to pray to pray, you're going to miss it. Regularly consistent is Daniel in Daniel 6. When the government made a law, you cannot pray for 30 days. What did Daniel do? Because it was a regularly consistent part of his everyday life. He went home, went to the upstairs, opened up the window so everybody could see him. And he got down on his knees and he prayed and he thanked God with thanksgiving. It's Psalm 5 that says, Oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayers unto you and I will look up every morning. It's Peter in Acts 16 as he was going to the place to pray that he was harassed by a girl with a demon and she harassed him every single day as he went to pray. The interesting thing to me of that is not just that there are demons that harass God's people, but that Peter went every day to pray. It was regularly consistent habit. If you wait till you need to pray to pray, you're going to miss it. Not only that, we pray what is biblical content. In other words, we pray what's already in. Whatever you see as God's will in the Bible, you pray that. 
As a Christ follower, you have access to what this already says about us, life in all its fullness, peace that passes understanding, wisdom in every decision, protection from the evil one, God's kingdom on earth in our lives, God's will done on earth in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, boldness to witness, and heaven to flood you with blessing as you tithe. Those are biblical. Now, what I've chosen to do for you, I didn't know I was going to do this till last night. And early this morning, what I've done for you, because I know when I say pray what's in the Bible, some of y'all are like, well, I know there's that verse about God loved the world and he gave something, his son. I think it was his son. And so thanks for that. And I know there's that verse that says godliness is Cleanliness is next to godly. No, wait, I think that was Ben Franklin, but that might still count. I'm not sure because Ben was pretty... Like he's a, he's a lush, but anyway. And so when I say pray biblically, I know a lot of y'all are like, well, I, that's great. I don't know what to, like, let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him, for the pastor. All right, build me a, a room at your house. That's okay, do that. But like, what do I do? So what I've done for you is I've provided four pages. That is my personal prayer time every morning. Biblical prayers. Now, I didn't conclude on here what my personal prayers are for myself, my family, and my loved ones. You don't get to know what those are. <laughs> Me and Jesus know that. But these are the prayers I pray every morning. This morning was 4 o'clock a.m. All these biblical prayers, biblical content. And so I want to share this with you. I don't, I'm not saying do this. I'm saying if you need a format, there's a lot here. But this is what I do every morning. I just want to give you an idea of what you, and so that is available for you in the info table out in the entryway, okay? If you want to pick it up. You can pick it up, but if you pick it up, use it. If you're not going to use it, don't pick it up. Don't fool yourself. But, but there it is, because I want you to understand what it means to play, pray biblical content over your life your marriage, your family, your kids, your future. Now, I just want to take, take, I know I'm getting close on time. This whole being done by uh, 1130 is stupid. Anyway, you want to film me if you got to go, but because I know that the mind can only, only take in what the butt can absorb. I understand that. So, but, but let me just, can I, I just want to press a little bit more. How did Elisha know that God would fill the jars with provision for the widow? How did he know that? Because he knew what would be in scripture that wasn't yet, but was, was consistent with God's heart. James 1.27, I learned when I was in high school, I memorized it and it's always stuck with me. Religion that God and Father considers pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows that one. When they're in distress. So he knew that God's heart and desire was consistent with biblical content and with God's heart. And he said, this is what God will do. And I know it. And I'm going to set it out there for him to fulfill. Now, we at Flipside, we've chosen three global areas to be involved. Cuba, Guatemala, and Mexico. And we are highly involved time, energy, and a lot of money. And we pray long, wide, deep ditches on their behalf. What we also have done has adopted 
three local mission works as well. They are angels of grace that rescues babies from meth houses and sex trafficking. They are pregnancy care center that helps women have babies rather than abort them. And they are youth for Christ, specifically group homes, Valley Teen Ranch. And we on their behalf are standing in the gap, praying long, wide and deep ditches, setting out empty jars for you and us to fulfill because we know that those ministries are consistent with God's heart. And I know that God is going to move mightily in their way. Matter of fact, we're working it out so that the Valley Teen Ranch kids can come to youth group here on Wednesday nights. That's good. That's and what I want to do is tell their chaperones, I don't know the legalities of it, and we'll work it out somehow, but what I want to tell their chaperones so that the kids can be kids here, not, not watched all the time, is to treat their workers and their chaperones to the diner. We'll say, go get yourself and just knock yourself out for two hours, eat as much as we want, we'll cover the bill. Just take, you know, we want to honor them and honor the kids. Do you understand? That's good, that's good. Because we know that God's telling us to be their support. And we know that as we set out empty jars and dig deep ditches, that God will fill them all. And here's what I want you to understand, that I pray for great favor of God on this church and on your lives. And I expect with all authority of Christ and of heaven that God's blessing will be on you because I'm praying for you as what the Bible says. I pray for you every single day. If you're not part of Flipside, if you're listening to me online, you're not part of Flipside, I'm not praying for you. I'm just praying for people who are part of this church. I just am. You are my responsibility. And you need to know that as your pastor, I'm praying for you. Remember that whole four, thing, uh, four sheets here? Every day for you. Because what I know is this, that as God blesses you, you will be faithful to put it through the church as we fill empty jars and as God fills ditches. Here's what I want you to understand. The setup for your blessings tomorrow are the prayers you pray today. Do you understand? That's good. The setup for your blessing tomorrow are the prayers that you pray today. Prayers are the act of digging ditches. Your prayers are the act of setting out empty jars. Your prayers are the expectation that the ditches and jars will be filled. Your prayers are the anticipation that it is coming. And so because prayer is the first element of position for God's blessing. I'm encouraging you, church, to pray long ditches and pray deep ditches and pray wide ditches and set out not just a few jars, but let me under help you understand this. I am not, and this is the hardest part of this whole message, I am not talking about prayer from those without a relationship with Jesus. This has to settle in. You have to hear me on this. This is the most difficult thing I'm going to say right now. I'm not talking about prayer from people who don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. To benefit from prayer, we must realize that prayer is communion with and communication with the Father. And without a relationship through faith in Jesus, there is no relationship with the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
without a relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus, the only prayer that the Father will hear from you is this prayer. Forgive me, make me right with you. You can beat your head against the wall in prayer all night and all day. But if you don't have a relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus, it's like asking you to dig a well in the hard pan of the ranchos with a trowel. It's not going to happen. You can ask him for favor to intervene all you want. But if you don't have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, Some of you prayed that prayer a long time ago. And it's almost as if life has conspired against you. And out of reaction of what has happened in life, you've assumed that it no longer works. That it's not worth your whole self. And you have walked away. Some of you have thought, well, I'm a good person. I'm starting to go to church. And I'm getting better. And those are all great things. But that is not a relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus. I want you to hear me on this. The foundation for putting yourself in a position of blessing is prayer. But that kind of prayer only happens through and with those who have a relationship with Jesus and are right with the Father. So I'm going to give you a chance. Let me give you a chance. This is the best part of the day right now. This is the best part of your life right now. I'm going to give you a chance. There's nothing special nor biblical about closing your eyes when we pray. We just do it so we won't get distracted. So here's the thing. You got someone real pretty or real ugly sitting next to you. Close your eyes so they don't distract you either way. Just close your eyes either way. Just so you're not distracted. Some of you, for the very first time, you're good people. You're real good people. And some of you are church people. And you've erroneously thought that that's enough. That because God loves you, when you see him face to face, it's going to be enough. That his love for you is going to be enough. And he says, well, it is enough to save you, but I need your love in return. And so in this moment, I want to give you the opportunity. If you've never done this before, it's real simple. Say, Father, I need you in my life. I admit that I'm what you call a sinner. I've lived outside of your commands. And that sin, please forgive me. Say this, say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. I accept you as the new leader of my life. Help me follow you best I can. For some of you, it's the first time you're actually realizing what those words mean. And you're actually professing that in your heart. And when you've done that, you have become 
not just a creation of God, but a child of God. And you are now in position for him to hear your prayer. For others of you, that prayer might have been said a long time ago. And in this moment, you may have had life happen to you in such a way that you've determined of your own wisdom that maybe it doesn't work like it's supposed to in my case. And maybe there are things that I have traded for faith. And you need to come back. The Bible says, return to me and love me like you did at first. Return to your first love. And maybe for you, you say, Father, I'm sorry. My feet have wandered. And this morning, I am coming back to you. And I renew my commitment to you. Thank you that you've never lost your commitment to me. For others of you here, you have walked with Jesus. And you are walking with him. And the best of your ability, you are in right relationship with him. You keep a short list of forgiveness. You're always coming before him and you are his and he is yours and you know that and you feel that. My encouragement to you this morning is that you pray and you pray and you pray biblical prayers Long ditches and wide ditches and deep ditches and through your prayers are the empty jars that you set out day after day, morning after morning, both with anticipation and expectation that God is indeed, yes, sending the rain clouds in the hills and he is indeed, yes, setting up the provision of oil and he is indeed, yes, moving on your behalf even though you can't see it, even though you don't realize it yet, that you know that you know that you know your heart that God thank you that I can trust you and I'm coming before you with empty ditches and empty jars expecting and anticipating that you move on our behalf almighty God I pray in the name of Jesus that for our church and for those here who are yours that you would do exactly what you do as we lay ourselves before you you are the almighty God you are the God of all glory the God of the kingdom the God of power and it's to you and you alone father that that we come laying out our request, trusting that you're moving on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, will you guys stand with us?